the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Awesome. Good morning, all. Right. Sorry, I'll just adjust this. Cool. I don't have the door anymore. Last week was Psalm, does anyone remember? 23. Yep, yep, yep. Make sure, I really enjoyed that. I'm not just trying to big Murray up because um, he's kind of my boss. I'm, I'm saying <laughs> it was really good. So I'd say if you missed it, go back and listen to it. Yeah, it was great. So today, part one, Psalm 139. Pretty well known. It's got got some classics. I will praise thee, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Um, We're not talking about those ones today. (laughs) Uh, We're going to do part one. Before we get into that, I'm going to tell you a bit of a story. So two years ago, uh, at the start of 2021, I was feeling a bit stuck in a rut at my job. Uh, I was kind of struggling to be motivated. Um, The things I once enjoyed were starting to bug me, uh, mainly about people. And uh, every morning it was like I was just nailed to my bed. I just really had trouble getting up and uh, getting on with the day. Uh, There's this other company that I really wanted to work for. Um, I remember in my early 20s, so this would have been almost 15 years uh, before, I'd driven up to this big flash new office that they'd built. And um, I had this strange confidence that one day I was going to work there. There was just a strange premonition that I, that that I was that I was going to be there. They did all the all the big projects in Hamilton, and they hired all the all the best and the brightest. But when I came back from overseas, I didn't really feel like the best or the brightest. Uh, certainly not. So I didn't I didn't apply there. Um, I, I considered it, but I didn't think that my CV was impressive enough um, to attract their attention. So uh, someone hit me up. I got a job out in Tiamutu, um, and seven years passed like a flash until once again I found myself staring at the application page of this other company's website. But I still didn't apply. Then someone hit me up on LinkedIn. I don't know who knows what that is. It's like a social media platform. Yeah, where your business contacts. Um, those who know me know I don't do social media at all. But for some reason, I signed up to this. So this guy hits me up, and it turns out that he's actually a representative for this company. And he wanted me to have a chat with them. And, uh, and, and so he had a chat with them first and came back and said, hey, they want to meet you. Um, so I went for an interview. Um, I had a tour of their brand new office that they'd just built in Tirapa, um, And it seemed to go really well. And I was like, yes, the Lord's finally opened the way to this, to this new job. Uh, it was more money, nice company car. is half the distance in my house. I've been traveling 45 minutes. This was 20, under 20. So everything to me seemed like it was falling into place. Uh, a no-brainer on paper. All I had to do, they sent me a contract. All I had to do was sign it, send it back to them, and hand in my notice. But I just couldn't. <laughs> Despite all the attractive features... I just couldn't get peace about it. I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. I got other people to pray about it. And I just felt like the Lord was telling me, no. And boy, was I upset. <laughs> but more about that later. 
I've got no slides today. Let's talk about the passage we're going to go into. It's Psalm 139, like I said. So it has to be one of the most well-known and beloved passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. It's been put to music numerous times. Catholic Church has multiple special readings every year on their holidays. they got lots of holidays uh, where they read it out loud. There's even an organisation in the States. It's called the Psalm 139 Project. Yep, and it fights to get abortion uh, ultrasound units put into abortion clinics. And in Judaism, it's recited as a parashah bereshit. I'm probably tortured that, but it's a public Torah reading, and it starts in Genesis, in the beginning. It means. It's actually the belief of many Jews that Psalm 139 is talking about Adam, as in Adam and Eve Adam, through the words of King David could be. Uh, the amazing thing I find about scripture is that a whole bunch of people can read the same verse <laughs> and get different things out of it. So I've done that and in, in, in my prayers what I felt the Lord was leading to is, is to explore uh, the life of David. You see he's the most obvious choice for the writer of the psalm um, and see if that would offer up any insight into why someone would pen words like this. So today we're going to look at verses 1 to 12 and the other 12 verses 12 to 24 uh, we're going to look at as a part two next week. So Psalm 139 verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. All right, so a weary prophet called Samuel makes his way to a group of shepherds in Bethlehem, instructed by the Lord to go and anoint a new king over the nation of Israel. He has mixed feelings about it. You see, Samuel was quite upset that the first king he anointed didn't work out a tall, handsome warrior called Saul. You see, Saul looked every part the king, and Samuel thought he would have been perfect for the job. But God's now said to Samuel, I've got someone else in mind. So after expecting the men on offer, inspecting the men on offer, sorry, Samuel immediately picks his obvious choice. The eldest of all the boys, tall, strong, one Samuel 16, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not upon his countenance or upon the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh upon the outward appearance, the Lord looks upon the heart. So after making his way through all the men, all the brothers, Samuel asked his fathers if he had asked their dad if he's got any more sons. There remaineth just the youngest, he said, he keepeth the sheep. Go get him, said Samuel. And on that day, in front of all his older brothers and his dad, a teenage shepherd was anointed to become the next king of Israel. Got me thinking. Do you think that young boy got much sleep that night? <laughs> Would you? If someone showed up at your work <laughs> and proclaimed that you're going to be the next king or prime minister or president or whatever of your people. They reckoned David was no older than 15. I imagine he lay staring at the stars, pondering everything that had happened that strange day, replaying Samuel's words over in his head. So we start at the beginning. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. In other words, you know where I dwell. You know where I come from. You know where I abide. And you know my uprising, which is to say you know where I'm going. You see, David was the eighth son of a man called Jesse. And we don't really know too much about Jesse. 
apart from the fact that he's probably a farmer and that he owns some sheep. David himself says later on, 1 Samuel 18, that his family isn't very important and that he himself is poor and not greatly admired. So in terms of David's inheritance, what he could look forward to, he was the youngest of all his brothers and going to have to share probably not that much eight ways. In actual fact, it was worse than that. The firstborn got half of everything. So David was going to have to share one-seventh of a half of probably not that much. Not very inspiring, is it? (laughs) Who knows where David would have ended up if Samuel hadn't shown up on that day and everything changed. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou compassest, that's great King James, my path. The, word, the Hebrew word is zarah, meaning scatter. You scatter my paths. They don't really, they're all over the show. And my lying down where I sleep, and art acquainted with all my ways. Have you ever heard the phrase, God moves in mysterious ways? Mm. I think this verse could well be summed up, as, summed up as God moves us down mysterious ways. You see, David wasn't just bundled off, shipped, bundled up, shipped off to some palace to be waited on hand and foot. In fact, in David's life, nothing really obvious changed. Samuel the prophet carried on to another town without him. And David went back to his father's sheep. But the Bible records something special in verse 13 of 1 Samuel. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. In fact, as you'll probably know, a long road lay ahead for this young shepherd. So I'll say it again, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. So David eventually gets summoned to see the current king, Saul. But it's not to get any training chips, uh, tips, sorry, like an apprenticeship or have a handover meeting. It's because Saul needs a bit of me time. <laughs> And listening to music calms his spirit. Saul was told that David was a great player of the harp and that the Lord is with him. Got me thinking, it'd be great to be described like that. <laughs> like, um, how's Mark? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's great. Good time management, solid knowledge of our system, and plus the Lord is with him. It's like the ultimate compliment <laughs> to have on your CV. Psalm 100, oh, where have I got to? So, Psalm 139 verse 4. Again, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. So Saul, after he gets to know David, starts to quite like him. So David spends more and more time playing the harp for Saul. Now around this time we get the Philistines gathering this huge army, pitching their tent in Israelite land on a mountain. The Israelites in response pitch their tents on the opposite mountain. And there's this huge valley in between them. We all know the story well. The Philistines got this champion. His name's Goliath. He starts marching down into the valley. That divides them and shouting out at the Israelite army. He basically calls them out for doing nothing and for being servants of this guy called King Saul. He, says, he basically says, where's this king of yours? And ultimately challenges someone to come down and fight him. He's calling for a representative of Israel. And Goliath does this for 40 days. 
David, meanwhile, has been going backwards and forwards between the battlefield to his house, to his father's sheep to look after them, and then he'd come back early in the morning with food for his brothers who were in the army. And during this time, David catches air of one of these speeches from Goliath. And he starts asking questions to people about why no one's responding to this guy. It says that David's words get back to King Saul, who summons him. <laughs> this is what gets me about Saul. Instead of summoning David and going, yeah, wow, those words are really spoken to. I'm representing these people. I'm going to go down. He sends David out <laughs> to meet Goliath. <laughs> He's like, better you than me. And he leaves him with the parting words, go and the Lord be with you. So, <laughs> David approaches Goliath and gives that famous speech, which includes, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied, thou hast defied. Does God need defending by us? Wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> but what I think is happening here is that the people that represented God were acting in a way unbecoming of servants to the Most High. So instead of trusting in God for the victory, they're cowering back, they're running in fear. And that includes their king. So David knew that all the other nations would take note of this. And God's name wouldn't hold the same reverence. So he sought to do something about it. See, uh, David was zealous for God's glory. David actually was already leading like a king <laughs> before he was ever crowned. So we'll go from the top again. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Whither should I go from thy spirit? Whither should I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. So after David's victory... So after David's victory over Goliath, things start to move pretty quickly in his life. Um, King Saul actually says that he took David into his own house and he wouldn't let David go home. And David begins to go out all over the place, um, fighting battles for King Saul. He eventually gets promoted, he becomes a leader over other warriors. And the Bible says that all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So in other words, David led by example. He led the armies into the battle. Why do I bring this up? Because this is actually the start of Saul's jealousy over David and begins a period of Saul trying to get David killed over and over again. So in one instance, 1 Samuel 19, David flees from Saul. He goes to be with the prophet Samuel, who's with a whole bunch of other prophets who are surprise, surprise, prophesying. That made me think there's not actually much surprise supposed to be in prophesying, is there? Anyway, when Saul sends soldiers to kill David, the soldiers are so moved by the Spirit of the Lord that they start prophesying too. And then Saul sends more soldiers, and they do the same. And then Saul himself goes, and the same thing happens to him. So much so that people think, oh, Saul's become a prophet now. The heading in my Bible for this section reads, The Spirit of God protects David. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Psalm 139.9 If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. 
Saul actually tries to kill David so many times that even David starts to get convinced it's going to happen. He flees from his house, his family, and the presence of Saul. At one point, David even runs so far away that he isn't even in the country anymore. The man that was anointed to become king of Israel leaves Israel. And in the process, David gathers around him this band of men, this band of brothers. So my question is, what kind of people do kings normally hang around with? All kinds, <laughs> from what we've heard from various books. The movers and shakers of society, right? Other royalty, rich, famous. So what about David? Well, David's men are described in 1 Samuel 22 too, as follows. Anyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> they sound like a fun bunch. And there was 400 of them. David, king of the outcasts. And they loved him. They would do anything. They said they would die for him. If you can be king of a people like that, surely the rest would be a breeze. <laughs> o Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light around me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the light shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. David had two opportunities, obvious opportunities, to fast track this whole becoming king thing. And that was to kill Saul. His first opportunity was in a cave in the wilderness of Israel. Saul came in to relieve himself and didn't realize that David and his men were hiding there in the dark. David even got so close to Saul that he cut off a piece of his clothes without him noticing. But it says that David's heart smote him. David's heart wouldn't let him do that. He regretted that he'd actually done that thing because he disrespected someone that God had anointed. So he came out of the dark of the cave and apologized to Saul from a distance. There was actually another time when David and one of his men, one of his close men, snuck into Saul's camp in the dead of night. They made their way over to Saul. He's sleeping in the middle of the camp, surrounded by all his men. And that man that was with David said, why don't you kill Saul right now and all this crazy business can be over. But David refuses. See, in both instances, and as highlighted, 1 Samuel 24.12 and 26.10 also say this, David decides that he's going to leave it up to God with what happens to Saul. And that David wouldn't even judge Saul for chasing him from his home and trying to kill him all those times. David leaves all the judgment in God's hands. And while God, Saul is still king, David isn't. So, back to my story. When I told this other company that I wouldn't be joining them, I felt very foolish. <laughs> See, on paper, it was actually a no-brainer. And like I said, I couldn't shake the feeling that it's not what God wanted for me at that time. And I heard through the grapevine, I had some friends who worked there, and I heard through the grapevine that they, were like, that they thought it was very strange of me to pull out. And that made me feel even worse. I felt like I'd ruined my chances. I'm thinking, surely they're going to think I'm some weirdo, like that I'm flaky, that I'm indecisive, unreliable. So I thought, well, I'll settle back into my existing job. I'll be grateful for it. I'll try and do my best. And some days that happened, and some days it didn't. <laughs> but I was surviving. I told myself I wouldn't apply to this other company again. 
And um, only, and only if I prayed to the Lord, I said, only if they come to me, then I'll take it as a sign from you. Well, nine months passed, <laughs> long months, before their representative was back in contact again. And this time it was different. I had a peace. And not only was I offered a better contract with better conditions, <laughs> I was given the opportunity to be involved in one of the biggest construction projects that's currently happening in the Waikato, a new regional theatre that is going to replace founders. I was told, you're going to be working alongside the A-team of this company. And it really turned out to be that. They're a great group of warm, friendly, hard-working people. They made me feel welcome from the day I started. And not only that, if I had just gone ahead and started the nine months earlier, I would have been working on a project that I won't name, but it's, it's turned out to be a very difficult project. And the project manager on that and in construction, many of you would know a project manager is, he's the boss, everyone reports to him. The project manager on that job is very hot-tempered and easily angered. So now when I look back, I, I see, God, you were in that process from the beginning. Um, and even though the path didn't make sense to me at all, <laughs> you were in total control. So a few weeks back, Jeremy brought up some great points about the structure of the Psalms and um, how, for example, Psalm 101 uh, was probably written before Psalm 51. And that Psalms are authored, authored by many different people over a long period of time. Psalm 139 is generally associated to David, which is why I felt prompted to um, talk about his story. And people with more degrees than a thermostat think that Psalm 139 was written just after David became king over all of Israel. So pondering that, bear with me, I like to think of the newly crowned King David in Jerusalem decades after he's been anointed by Saul as a teenage shepherd. I imagine David in this moment reflecting over all those years the trials, the tribulation, the battles, the running, the hiding, the times of peace, the times of turmoil, the people he met and the friendships he formed, and most importantly, the role that God played in all of it. So, maybe he sat down and wrote this. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising, thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my tongue. But lo, O Lord, that thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. I pondered on what kept David going. <laughs> I mean, he could have said to Saul, okay, look, I'm sorry. I've, clearly I've stepped on your toes here. I'm going to back off. I'll go back to being a shepherd. You won't hear from me again. Your, your son, Jonathan, he's a nice guy. 
Bible says Jonathan's actually quite an upright guy. Um, he can be king. He's my friend. I'm fine with that. You're not going to hear from me again. And in return, please stop trying to kill me. So, <laughs> but he didn't. You see, he persisted in being who God had called him to be. A big component, if I think, if not the main component, must have been his faith in the promise, in the anointing. You will be king. I think David just needed someone to believe in him, to be honest. And that's what Samuel did. That's what God did through Samuel. Youngest of eight brothers, the eldest of which was quite nasty to him, it's actually in the Bible. His own dad didn't even believe he was worthy to stand in front of Samuel. But we have God reaching in to David's situation, seemingly against all odds, and saying, actually, I'm with you. And this is who you are to me. Never mind what anybody else says. Is our situation as, as believers not similar? Chosen despite our sin, despite our circumstances, despite the objections of those around us. Ephesians 1.13, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. You might say to me, oh, Mark, it's quite different. You know, David was promised to be king over an entire nation. And yes, you're right, it's not the same. Because Hebrews 11.40 says that our promise is better. Matthew 25.34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of the Father. So this is Jesus, King Jesus, the ultimate king, saying to all his people, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ to an everlasting kingdom. And we get to share in the firstborn's portion. None of this eighth in line stuff. We inherit eternal life. <laughs> and a promised dwellings created by the best craftsman of the entire universe. Anything better than the company I work for could build. Now that is a promise. <laughs> but do we believe it? I'll admit there are days when I struggle to. <laughs> when I choose to listen to what the world has to say about me, rather, or what I have to say about me, rather than what God says about me. Mm. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God. So surely if there's anything we need to truly grasp hold of and nail, it's that, right? Faith in the plan. Hmm. I pray that, that Psalm 139 would encourage us to look back <laughs> over our lives and grasp how sovereign God is. How every little thing we do is overseen by him. How nothing gets past him. How actually to him, it doesn't matter on what side of the tracks we live, or who our family is, or how much money we have, or how close we are to a church, or even darkness. God is sovereign over all of that. And he is saying, I have chosen you. Now what are we going to do about that? Let's have a pray. Heavenly Father, we forget, I forget, just how sovereign you are. About how nothing happens without your eyes being on it, Lord. That, that I can look at things and, and see catastrophe and disaster, and you can see promise and, and newness. I ask that you would build up faith in us, Lord, in who you are, in your plan for us, and that we wouldn't let the adversary and, and those around us dictate to us who you say that we are. Use us, Lord, for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom.
May we be representatives of you, Lord God, here now. Like a pastor I listened to says, Shane Willard, we don't want to get to heaven and have whiplash. Help us be who we're supposed to be now. Representatives of you now here, far before we ever reach your glory, Lord God. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.